0: We're in Colossians chapter 2, Colossians chapter 2, this past Wednesday we started Deuteronomy, there's going to be a couple passages out of Deuteronomy that we're going to talk about uh, later on, I hope, sometimes what I think we're going to do later on in the sermon may not happen until the following week. But we'll see how it goes. Remember that the, the theme of Colossians is the, Christ being the head of the church. We are the body of the church, and Christ is the head. Christ is deity. We went to John chapter 1, talking about the deity, the Word being with God in the beginning. The Word was with God and the Word was God. We talked about Hebrews and how he created all things. Uh, When we were in chapter 1 of Colossians 16, talks about him being the creator of all things, whether they be be visible or invisible. Jesus. Let's read chapter 2 with all of that in your mind, let's read chapter 2. For I would that you knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. Now, Laodicea was very close to Colossae. Verse 2, That their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, and uh, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God, and of the Father, and of Christ. Now, it says, Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. What is the difference between wisdom and knowledge? You know the difference? I mean, there's two different words there. Some people might say they're basically the same thing. But if you... So let's say you have a lot of knowledge. you got a bunch of knowledge. But you never put it to use. You have no wisdom. Right? But you don't know how to use wisdom if you don't have the knowledge. So they work together. But don't be one that has all the knowledge, but it does you no good whatsoever. Or have a bunch of knowledge that only does you good while you're on this earth, but, but doesn't do anything for you after this earth. There's too many people out there to think that this is all there is. They think that they're born, they live in this evil world, they do the best they can for themselves and then they die and it's all over. Well, they need to get into the Bible. There's way more, way, way more after you die than the time you spend on this earth. And it's going to be absolutely wonderful or it's going to be absolutely horrible, depending on what kind of knowledge you've gotten out of this book of the Bible. And more importantly, have you put that knowledge to good use through good wisdom? And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. Now, we have all kinds of opportunity to be beguiled, to be tricked, to be taken off course. So, take, take teenagers today. They have no... there's very little interest in reading a book, much less the Bible. They get on things that just stimulate their minds with videos, people talking, but the importance of putting all of that away, getting all those things that just make the mind go crazy, And to get in front of written words and read them. To truly exercise your mind. Reading books is so much different than watching things. So much difference. And I think that's why we have so much problems with mental issues is that people have not exercised their minds the way it needs to be done. I think it has a lot to do with it. I think that the, uh, all the problems with kids and learning and all the things that happen during school time has to do with that. The most brilliant people, the people, and if you go back into history, and you look at the people who really made a difference, that really did some things to change the world for the better, they were people who read, that got into books and read things. Now, there's a lot of trash out there that you can read. All you got to do is go to, uh, like, a Barnes & Noble and walk over to the teenage section. they got, they got the adult... Uh, Little kids, little tiny kids section, then they got the teen section. Walk down the aisle of the teen section and just look at the covers of the books. By the time you get to the end of one of the aisles, you will feel very dirty and depressed. You'll feel the darkness. Try it. Go. It's just a, an assignment for you. Go and walk through. I've done it. People like, Frederick Douglass. You know who that is? He was a slave, a slave who was taught to read by one of his owner's wives and she was doing a great thing by teaching him how to read until the slave owner found out about it and put an absolute stop to it. They did not want, when people are educated it's amazing what they'll do. They'll start to realize that they have rights, that they want to be independent and do great things. Well, you, you can't have people, have, you don't want people to have knowledge. You don't want people to learn how to read if you want to control them. Our public school system today is not teaching kids to think. It's just teaching them what to think. And every kid's got a laptop so that they can go do the things that stimulate the mind on the laptop, but not to read a book. I had books when I was in school. I had books for every class. I don't know if they even have books. They carry their laptop. Most kids don't have lockers anymore, and they just go from class to class, and they don't read enough. So Frederick Douglass fell in love with learning when he was a little boy and then it was taken away from him and then when he escaped and and tried to find freedom, he got right back into books because he had learned enough as a kid to where he could self-teach himself later on and he became a wonderful mind. And something about him is he changed over time with more knowledge. At about the same time, there was a, a politician guy, his, you, might, you might remember his, him, uh, Abraham Lincoln. Y'all know him, Abraham Lincoln? He was another person who just devoured books and read to the point where his he didn't get along very well with his father. His father wanted him to work and to, and to get out in the fields and do all these things, but he just wanted to read and learn. And he's another person who changed over time. Do you realize that Abraham Lincoln, when he first was running for office and was first became the president of the United States, that he was fine with slavery being in the South, and he didn't want, any, he didn't want to touch it? But by the end of four years of war, he had totally changed his mind. Totally changed. People change over time, sometimes a great deal of time, sometimes a shorter period of time. But the Word of God, if you will read it, you must read it for yourself. And I promise you, it will change you for the better. We have become a nation that has turned away from the Word of God. If you go back to that time period that I'm talking about with a Frederick Douglass and an Abraham Lincoln, they cherished the Word of God. They cherished it. it when we, this past Wednesday, when we were going through the first chapter of Deuteronomy, I got through 40 verses. But as we were going down through there, it talked about Moses realizing that he could it, the, the nation of Israel had grown to where it was predicted years and years before that they, the descendants of Abraham, would end up being so many that it would be like trying to count the stars in heaven, be trying to count the sand on the seashore. And Moses said. We're at that point now, at the end of the 40 years of wandering. And he said, I can't be your one leader. There needs to be other leaders that we need to be appointed. And I kind of used that as how our founding fathers, when they started this country, wanted to form a, a government that matched the Word of God as close as they could. So... Just like Moses talking about how the population had expanded, there needed to be more leaders. Well, our government was set up as a representative government so that when the population grew, the number of people that you sent to Washington to represent you grew as well. In the House, that's the way it is, right? In the Senate, it's only two per state, regardless of the population which uh, does certain things, but then the house grows with the population. And that matches kind of what Moses was saying in Deuteronomy. Then you get down a little further and it talks about judges and how a judge should not have any respect of persons but treat everybody the same. Whether they're poor, and can't afford a good lawyer, be fair to them just like you would somebody who was somebody. Right? That's the way we're supposed to be. And if you don't have people who have the fear of God in them, then they won't judge correctly. They can be bribed. They can show favoritism. But if you know the Word of God... Did we ever find out if it was John Adams or not that we were talking about on Wednesday? I don't know if we, I'm pretty sure, we, I think we pretty much figured out it was John Adams who, so on Wednesday we were talking about a court case that happened when it must have been before the, the Revolutionary War actually started and some British soldiers had done some bad things, they made, made mistakes, they, they actually killed some civilians and the people of this country wanted to punish them severely, and John Adams, and again, I should have looked it up. I had no intention of saying it again, but just because of going back to Deuteronomy, it brought it back to my memory, but he was assigned to be their lawyer, the British soldiers, that everybody here just wanted to go. They wanted them gone, didn't want them here in the first place. Well, he represented them the way he would represent anybody. And he won the case for them. So wouldn't you want, if you were in a if you were out of place, you were all alone, wouldn't you want somebody to represent you, even though they might hate you for what you've done, but represents you fairly so that you won't be become a victim of just being in the wrong place. And John Adams was a person who was, had a fear of God and knew that God was not a respecter of persons. He wants to treat everybody the same. And he represented them just like he would anybody, and they won the court case and they got their freedom. When anybody else would have judged, kill them. You know, do away with them. But he did it because he had a fear of God. We need people who we put in office in this country that fear God. Because mankind is not to be trusted. We all mess up. We all end up doing things that serve us. We we can be selfish at times. We need to be a people who respect the Word of God, And we need to treat everybody the way Jesus would treat them. We need to be like that. And the more you're like Jesus, the better everything is. You can't argue with that. We all need to be more like Him. And how do you know how to be more like Him? Read things like Colossians chapter 2. Just get into the Word. Verse 4 is where we're at. We have been beguiled by so many things. Worldly things have got us off course. Verse 5. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As ye have therefore received... Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. Each and every one of you, if you truly have received Christ Jesus the Lord, if you have, you need to walk like it. Your life needs to match up with what you're professing. Do you really have a... Religion that changes you is what you're doing. There's there are all kinds of, and I don't like the word religion, and you can very, barely find it in the Bible. But James is one of the places you can see religion. But you can make a religion out of all kinds of stuff. And like Adrian Rogers uh, said, he used to say all the time, you know, if your religion hasn't changed you from doing all those sinful things. You need to pick a different religion. You need to try something else. And I know this Word of God, if it's in your heart, it will change you, and you will want to walk in Christ. Seven, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. So the word rooted, that means that you're, you're able to stand in the winds. Just think of a tree having really good deep roots. You need to be rooted in someone, Jesus Christ. You need to be rooted in Him. So into Him that you can stand up against all the trials and the tribulations that this life brings you. So what are you grounded to? What is giving you the stability of life? It needs to be that you're rooted in Him and built up in Him. So we've got all kinds of things throughout Scripture that you can look back to and say, uh, you know another another way to think about being rooted is you know a foundation of a building is rooted into the ground and the bigger the building the bigger the foundation needs to be but you need to be you need to have a good foundation that can't be moved and it needs we know it needs to be built on rock not sand And if if you have a good foundation, then you can build. We're supposed to be built up. We're not supposed to stay a foundation forever. You do something on that foundation. So, you start building on that. But if you don't have the right foundation, if you have no foundation and you just build, you can build something spectacular. But it's not going to stand. The first big storm that comes through We'll wipe it all out. Established in the faith as ye have been taught. That's just an example. All those things are examples of what we've been taught. Abounding therein with thanksgiving. We need to be thankful. We need to be more thankful. Verse 8, Beware lest any man spoil you, spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. Now, that word vain is a King James word. Some people will change it to empty. But there are all kinds of men who will... The word spoil is when you've been defeated, and then they come and take what you had. So in a war situation, especially in the Bible, you see where you go in, you defeat your enemy, and then you can take of the spoil. All the things that these people you've defeated really have no use for anymore because they're dead. Now, you're being warned right here, beware lest any man spoil you. That means they've defeated you, and anything that you may have had, uh, all, all the things you've been taught out of the Word of God, you could possibly be overtaken by somebody and pull you away. From the truth, and then take anything that you had. And that's through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Now, there's all kinds of traditions of men. That's why I don't want to be referred to as a whatever ist. You know? You, get, you got all these famous people that are sometimes called church fathers that you can go back to and almost worship them there's people you know I have to be careful of that I have to be careful not to start to worship somebody like a Charles Spurgeon you know he was a great person he did he did wonderful things but the only reason he did those things is because God called him to do those things. So don't get wrapped up into people. Because certain people from time gone by have created doctrines, and we will call a certain denomination after a person. You know, it's, it's this person did this, the Lutherans the Calvinists, the Armenians. There's all these things that we could attach ourselves to that have names from men. So it's traditions of men, rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. So don't get caught up. Don't get uh, messed up by... Those types of things. Nine, for in him, talking about Christ, it's all about Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Jesus is part of the Trinity. And he gets, Jesus, no one questions God the Father. No one questions the Holy Spirit. But when you get to Jesus, people question. People start doubting. Now I made a reference to the veil being red and blue and how red represents man and how blue represented heaven. And it was God and man coming together and blending and and creating the purple veil, and the veil represents the flesh of Jesus. Well, that's all nice and sweet, but I think a man came up with that. I remember reading it or something, and I used it. And it it sounds cool. But there's a danger in thinking that man and God mixed to make Jesus. Think about the burning bush. It was a bush, a bush, that should have been consumed by the fire. If it was totally engulfed in flames, it should have burned up, right? But it didn't. Why? It looked like they had mingled. It looked like they had become one thing. Fire and and a bush had become one thing. The bush was still a bush and the fire was still the fire, but you couldn't see them different. You have to look at Jesus that way. You have to know that he was totally man, but totally God at the same time like that burning bush. Totally the flame was all over it that should have just devoured it, but didn't. you gotta think of, you got to think of Jesus in that way. So we got to be careful not to blend. So what happens is if you blend them together then you have all the people who want to talk about the humanity of Jesus, and they'll start pulling verses out like uh, uh, Jesus said that, even, that the angels didn't know when they asked, when would the second coming be? And he said, uh, the angels in heaven don't know, and I don't know, only the Father knows. And people go, ha-ha, Jesus isn't deity. That verse right there proves it. Well, you, you can think about Paul saying, I purpose to know nothing except Jesus and Him crucified. Did He know nothing else? He knew all kinds of other stuff. But He said, I purposed that I don't bring all that other garbage, you know, I mean, a lot of good stuff, but I'm not going to overwhelm you with all these other things. The Because mo- if, if I miss Jesus Christ and Him crucified, none of the other stuff matters. And Jesus knew that He... Was not supposed to reveal when that second coming was going to be. No one needs to know, not even the angels. And he says, "I don't know it either. I'm not telling you." I think he knew because he's God. Jesus is God. So there's a certain uh, number of verses, and maybe maybe next week we'll get into those verses. But we're gonna I'm, next week. I want to I want to talk about. Uh, get more in-depth about the deity of the Son, the Son of God. Like I've told you many times before, that's the one issue that I was constantly fighting against at the the, uh, jail, doing Bible study there for those years. It always came back up. It was Jesus, just a really, really good person, and... They had different levels of believing that he was deity or not, but that he was somehow a little less. And I think it's because of being human and being God at the same time, it caused him to be brought down a notch. When Everything I've been reading, everything I've been showing you over the past several weeks, no, not at all. You cannot bring him down, any. All right. I wanted to get to a certain verse. So, that verse right there, 9, that is one one of the really good verses about the Trinity. The Father, the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, the Son. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. He is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete in Him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now that's crazy. What's this? So if you know your Bibles and you know the, the Jewish nation, they had a sign that all the male babies, when they were eight days old, they went to the circumcision. They had had to be circumcised, and that set them apart. Now, you take that circumcision all the way back to Abraham, and him getting to the point where he could not produce a baby with Sarah. Sarah already couldn't do it, but they had another plan, and they used Hagar, and they were able to produce a baby, but it wasn't the promised child. And then God waited till Abraham couldn't even use that route again if he wanted to. I think he learned his lesson. But even if he wanted to, he couldn't do that route. And then God said, we're going to, get, we're going to do this circumcision thing, and then one year later you're going to have the promised son. And it happened. So this circumcision was this, It was an actual physical thing that the nation of Israel did. They had to do it to make them, just uh, so they would have a physical sign of being the chosen people. We're all Gentiles, and we are not part of being the nation of Israel, but yet we can go through this circumcision process spiritually. <clears throat> now, when Lois asked a few weeks ago about possibly doing, going through the book of Deuteronomy, it was in the back of my mind, because when I, when I was preparing Colossians and thinking about Colossians, and I'm thinking about this circumcision made without hands, I automatically, as soon as I read that, I'm thinking about Deuteronomy. And why? In Deuteronomy, I got it marked, there's two places in Deuteronomy that I want you to see. You can write this down if you want, if you don't want to turn all the way back there. But you can write, uh, I'm going to read it. But this is Deuteronomy chapter 6. No, Deuteronomy chapter 10. I'm sorry. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 16. I marked 6 for some reason. I don't know why. All right, 10, 16. It says, Circumcised, therefore the foreskin of your heart, and be no more stiff-necked. Circumcise the foreskin of your heart? That's Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Bible. That's something that you would, I would think would be right there next to what I just read out of Colossians. And then in uh, Deuteronomy 30, I put my mark in the right place here, verse 6, <clears throat> now, this is a future thing that was going to happen for the nation of Israel. A future thing. Now, he's talking about... Now, they knew very well what circumcision was. They all knew it on a physical level. They all knew what it meant, or what it, what it was. But then they were told to circumcise the foreskin of your heart. Whoa. Well, now in 30, verse 6... And the Lord thy God will, that's, that's future tense, will circumcise thine heart and the heart of thy seed, so you know, all the ones they bring up after them, to love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul, that thou mayest live. Now, we are told in Colossians that we need... This circumcision made without hands, this flesh that we are born with is a constant hindrance for doing anything for God. And as soon as you think that you have tamed the flesh, that you have done anything of your own to make it worthy to be uh, a minister of Christ, to do anything for him, you're just sadly mistaken. That flesh needs to be, spiritually speaking, it needs to go through a circumcision. The part of you that God can use needs to be separated from the flesh. So we need to go through this circumcision made without hands in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh By the circumcision of Christ. It's what Christ has done to you. And what is that? The very next verse. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God. See, circumcision is like a minor operation, a minor surgery. It's an operation of God. It's a type and picture of what God really does to you when you are born again. Now, don't think that baptism, that it's right here, it says buried with him in baptism. Don't think that that automatically means being dunked in water. I don't know if any of y'all listen to the uh, Unashamed podcast, but it's the old, uh, the Duck Dynasty guys have a, a podcast called Unashamed. And they, they preach the gospel everywhere they go. They're amazing at it. But they fight amongst themselves about baptism and what it really is. There's some things they just don't have figured out. And baptismal regeneration, they would take that verse and say, See, you've got to be baptized or you're not saved. And what they mean is you've got to be baptized in water. And until you go through that act of obedience, of being dunked in the water, you don't really get saved. Some of them on the show would, would feel especially, we'll tell you that. Well, then there's one of the younger guys who knows better who tries not to disrespect him, but tries to say, well, you know, but and 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 give the other side of it. This baptism that it's talking about right here, it's that. Being baptized into Jesus Christ, into his death, and then when God raised him up out of the grave, you got raised up as well. And where do you get that from? Romans 6. Just write that down, Romans 6, and read it for yourself. You don't have to go far at all in Romans 6, and you can read all about. Being baptized into Jesus, it's not. So, so Jace on the on the unashamed podcast, Jace was saying, yes, yeah, some guy drove by with his window down and yelled at me, saying, "It's not about the water." And Jace comes on the show and talks about this guy. He said it was a drive-by yelling, a drive-by scolding. Y'all are messing it up, you know. And he's so he. But see, he don't, he, they don't, they're not understanding this right here. They're not understanding it's what they were brought up with that you gotta go down to the river and get baptized, and that's what seals the deal. Well, it really doesn't. It's a very important part of our Christian walk that we do that. But you gotta remember that the baptism that really saves you is being is the one in, in Romans 6, the one that. Get you into Jesus. You've got to be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Buried with Him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with Him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised Him from the dead, and you being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh. See, if you haven't gone through that spiritual circumcision, you're still in your flesh. All right. So the and, you say, and the unseen of your flesh hath he quickened together with him, having for, forgiven you all trespasses. So if you've gone through this, buried with him in baptism, then you have been made alive, been brought up out of the grave. You've been made alive. That's the word quicken with Jesus. If you try to do it without Jesus, it, it's not working. That's why. That's why. Going to the preacher and saying, I want you to take me to the river and baptize me so I can be saved. Or I need you to baptize me so I can have a certificate that I can show everybody that says I got baptized. You're doing it without Jesus if you're doing it that way. You've got to be baptized in Jesus and then we can go do that. Together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. 14, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances... That was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. That's what I wanted to get to today was 15. And we did it. But there's a whole thing I wanted to read out of another book thing that I can't do. We'll do that next week. But, and that's going to be really getting into the attributes of Jesus and all... There's, there's things that he did that shows that he is God. The Son of God. He is equal with God. And we'll get into that next week. Next Sunday. So Jesus did an amazing thing by going to the cross, and, you know, that word blotting, on 14, See the, notice that word, blotting, out, most, most new versions of the Bible don't have that word. Blotting, what, would you, what does it make you think of? Blotting something with the blood, blotting out the law that was against us, these ordinances that were, the law condemns us and the blood of Jesus saves us. The blood must be applied. Think about what they did to the doorpost and the lentil, blotting the blood on the doorpost with the hyssop. The blood must be applied. Beautiful wording in the King James Bible. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Colossians this wonderful letter that uh, we have in our Bibles, Father we have learned so much from it, Father we thank you for caring about us, knowing that we needed this, uh, this circumcision made without hands, Father I pray that each and every person who hears this will call out to you and that they will want to be saved by being baptized into their Savior, Jesus Christ, being taken on His experience going into the grave, Father, that they will be raised up to walk in newness of life. Thank you, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.